and welcome to Fresh Fusion, a show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web. My name is Jared White, and you're listening to episode 71. So the key to a successful podcast, in my opinion, is to have a suitable content pipeline where you don't have to think about what you need to put on the show at the time you have to do a show. In other words, long in advance of recording an episode, you have a pretty clear idea of what you'll be getting into. You know, if it's a if it's a discussion show between multiple hosts, you know who the hosts are, you know the kind of topics the hosts te- typically discuss, and it's just a matter of, you know, putting together some show notes for a particular episode so that the hosts can have something to jump off of. Or if it's a, you know, a show where somebody, uh, you know, sort of uh, tells a story about something that happened and it's kind of a produced narrative of some kind, you know, it's really clear getting, uh, when you get started there, uh, you know, what that narrative is going to be. Uh, you know, in other words, the, the worst kind of podcast to do is one where you have to go, hmm, what should be in this podcast episode? I could talk about anything, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, when I started the, the sort of rebranded Fresh Fusion, uh, you know, it, this, this isn't a, a new podcast. There is a, an iteration of the show, the Jared White Show, uh, before it became Fresh Fusion. Uh, so when it switched gears to become Fresh Fusion, uh, I had this idea that you know each episode would be sort of a deep dive into some particular aspect of content creation, um, you know, some particular lesson learned or tips and tricks or you know commentary on some particular uh, you know thing that had happened in the world of content creation. You know, like maybe there's some kind of major you know brouhaha over something you know, that somebody did that was unethical. So maybe we talk about that. Or, you know, maybe there's some new, you know, platform that is taking the world by storm to provide, uh, uh, you know, monetization for content creators. So we talk about that, What you know, whatever the case might be. It has proved difficult, to say the least, uh, for me to kind of keep up the pace uh, with, um, you know, the, the way... I can cover those topics uh, in such a manner as it doesn't just feel like a, a huge amount of time and effort. And the sad reality right now is I don't have a lot of extra time for, for any side projects. You know, Between my immediate work obligations that I'm getting paid to do for my clients, um, along with uh, you know, family and other sort of just general life stuff, uh, my time is short. So I'm having to rethink what the content pipeline is for the show. In an ideal world, I would love to be able to, you know, write a blog post and publish that on my site about something that is relevant to the show and then record a podcast episode where I essentially provide commentary on what I published. In an ideal world, I think that would be a pretty pretty good pipeline because it's kind of killing two birds with one stone. I get a blog article that can be shared and read, and I get, 
a podcast episode you know, out of essentially the same idea. But <laughs> again, even just sitting down to write an article uh, you know, with any meaningful length that is truly relevant and helpful to people is proving challenging. So I'm doing what any scrappy <laughs> time strapped person of 2021 might do these days when uh, you know mining for content uh, i'm going to look at popular tweets <laughs> my my top 7 most popular tweets so far of july um and it's not exactly that because I uh, filtered out the, the uber programmer geek kind of stuff that's mixed in there. Uh, but b basically anything that's a little bit more generally relevant. Uh, I looked at um, you know, what was most viewed, the, the most impressions, and sorted that. And so I'm going to start at 7 and get all the way up to 1. So here we go. My reactions to the top 7 tweets of July. The first tweet, oh, and I should mention, of course, that uh, in the show notes, there are links to all these tweets. So if you want to uh, go over to Twitter and comment on any of these topics or just see what folks have been writing and replying, uh, go go right ahead and, and uh, click on those links. Um, all right, so here's tweet seven, installing iPadOS 15 public beta with a starfish gif of today's the day. Well, <laughs> I, I went into this with high hopes. Um, you know, it, it's always risky to install a public beta of any new OS on your device. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'd kind of been hearing whispers of, oh, you know, these, these uh, early betas are pretty stable. They, they don't seem like they're totally falling apart like sometimes early betas have been in past years. Um, so when the public beta program opened up, I figured, ah, what the heck? Well, I'm actually finding iPadOS 15 to be really buggy. <laughs> uh, apps on my iPad are just crashing right and left. Uh, Safari is almost unusable in certain circumstances. Uh, it's, it's actually pretty bad for me. So I'm not sure what other folks are doing uh, that is, is giving them a nice stable environment, but I actually kind of regret installing the public beta. I, I, don't get me wrong, I really love the features. I, I love everything Apple has done in the OS, you know, in terms of the feature development and, you know, the, the design of the new multitasking improvements. I, I like all of that and so forth. Uh, I even kind of like the new Safari design with the crazy uh, sort of tab and address bar merge design. I know a lot of people just hate it, really hate it. <laughs> I kind of like it. I think uh, clearly they have some more work to do on that, but I think um, this this could be a promising direction. But everything is just so crashy and, and so weird that, uh, yeah, I, I would not recommend anyone install uh, iPadOS 15 right now. I'm not sure about iOS. I'm not sure about macOS. I haven't done any of the other betas. But yeah, uh, it's that's unfortunate. But um, yeah, back on uh, June 30th. Wait, June 30th? That's not July. Why is this in my list? <laughs> Sorry, folks. I must have gone back too far. Anyway, yeah, don't install iPadOS 15. I would recommend waiting at least another month or two before trying the public beta or or just wait for the regular release. All right, tweet number six. Uh, I wrote here, all seven seasons of Bosch on Amazon Prime were phenomenal, 
one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I am so excited about the new spin-off series. Woohoo! Minor spoilers await, so don't click through if you haven't seen season seven. Yeah, so this is a, a retreat of uh, an article about how um, there's actually going to be a new spin-off series uh, with with the lead character Bosch, uh, played by Titus Welliver. Uh, they're, they're going to they're going to continue at least some of the characters into this new spin-off series, which oddly enough will be on IMDb TV. It seems like. Which, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. My impression is that IMDb TV is this weird ad-supported sort of thing where <laughs> low-tier low stuff just kind of goes to hang out. I'm, I'm not sure if this is a good, uh, a good uh, move here. But anyway, the, the, the point of my tweet is that, yeah, all, all seven seasons of Bosch, uh, and including this, this final seventh season, uh, have all been just tremendously wonderful. It's it really is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Uh, I just I, I can't say enough good things about it. So if you haven't seen Bosch yet, I really encourage you to check it out. If if you like anything even remotely related to detective shows, uh, and even uh, you know some some sort of family stuff mixed in there. Uh, one of the things I really love about the show is that the character of Bosch. Uh, you know, he, he's not just a detective, he's a father. And the relationship he has with his teenage and lately adult daughter um, it, it is really something remarkable. You know, we're, we're all used to a lot of drama sort of centering around uh, fractious relationships between parents and children and, you know, the 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 sort of semi-evil father figure is a, <laughs> a common trope in a lot of shows uh, but this is totally different he, he's a he's really quite quite a good dad you know you, you almost could say that <laughs> you know his it, of all the ways his character is really rough around the edges uh, being a dad isn't really one of those rough edges it's one of the things he's most good at which is kind of surprising so yeah i just i just love the show all right, uh, with that down, we'll go to tweet number five. This is me commenting on uh, Vidit Atre, who wrote that WFH, that is work from home, is the chief enemy of creativity, <laughs> to which I said, in an entire field of bad takes, this is definitely award-winning. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from, but I think it's absurd in the extreme to say that the chief enemy of creativity is working from home. <laughs> I mean, I could I could come up with a list a mile long of ways that creativity can get shot down and work from home won't be on any of those lists <laughs> anywhere. Now, I'm going to actually talk more about work from home and remote work later in regard to a different tweet, so I'm not going to go too much into it now. But uh, I, I just cannot strongly enough <laughs> emphasize how much I disagree with this tweet. Uh, sorry, Vidit. Next up, tweet number four. This one was kind of popular. Uh, I posted a before and after picture of myself. <laughs> and I wrote, from wild mountain man to suave man about town. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I posted a picture of myself looking <laughs> pretty unkempt with sort of long stringy hair, 
because uh, yeah, essentially I went through the entire pandemic uh, just letting my hair grow out, and I you know I kind of wanted it to grow out to a certain degree, um, but uh, it definitely had been sort of getting to the point of looking crazy and unmanageable, um, and uh, I don't know I. I, I certainly could have gone to a professional hairstylist uh, much earlier than I did, um, but I just I, I had some anxiety about it, and I haven't been one of the people that was like really concerned and you know an uncharitable take might be paranoid uh, during the pandemic. You know, I, I you know I wasn't the person who was sort of you know being a shut in all the time, um, but you know I definitely was you know trying to be somewhat cautious. And for some reason, you know, the idea of, you know, sure, I put on a mask and go to a grocery store or I put on a mask and go to, you know, some some office to, you know, submit paperwork or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I actually needed to do that. But, you know, going going into a building with a mask on to accomplish something in a short period of time and then leaving, you know, I didn't have any problem doing that. I, I certainly, you know, didn't put the kibosh on, you know, grabbing a cup of coffee uh, couple times a week or whatever. Um, but um, th- for some reason, the thought of like sitting in a chair with, with someone like right next to me, you know, fiddling around with my hair. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it, it sounded super awkward. And, uh, you know, I, I would be afraid for them. I'd be afraid for myself in, in some way or another. So, yeah. So I basically waited until, you know, Everyone assuming, uh, you know, the assumption is everyone's vaccinated and everything's officially opened up. So nobody's required to wear a mask if they're vaccinated and all that good stuff. Uh, And I finally took the plunge to go get my hair cut. And I I didn't just go to some, you know, cheap $10 haircut or whatever sort of place. Like I went to a really nice hair salon and got a really professional stylist. And yeah, I, th- I think it came out looking really nice. I'm, I'm really happy uh, with, you know, <laughs> it sounds weird to like talk about getting a haircut. You know, it's just, it's just th- this is the weird time it's been where, you know, just the mere act of going and getting a haircut feels like a big deal, like a really, you know, momentous occasion. <laughs> you know, afterwards, I felt like, should I go celebrate? <laughs> Where's the champagne? I got a haircut. <laughs> It really did feel like a big deal. So, um, yeah, so I'm really happy about that. All right, going back to the remote work topic, uh, tweet number three here. uh, I wrote, I don't know who needs to hear this, but remote work is not sitting around at home on a Zoom call. Also, remote work is not a synonym for work at home. Okay, thanks. Bye. So let me break this down for you. Um, this was sort of a subtweet. I don't even remember who it was I was reading, but somebody else was saying something around something about you know, you know, getting back to doing real work and you know, getting back to the office and not just you know, not just thinking of work as sitting around at home, you know, hopping on Zoom or something. And you know, it was sort of a, a derisive comment, uh, and that that really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, you know, for you know, pretty obvious reasons for anyone who is, is a proponent of remote work. Um, but it, it doesn't just bother me in the sense of like, you know, hey, remote work is more than just sitting around on, at home, you know, jumping on a Zoom call. Like, I find it personally offensive that people simply equate remote work with work from home in general. And I want to be careful what I say here because I don't want to come across as somebody who is 
um, insulting anyone who works from home and likes working from home. That, that's not my intention. What I'm trying to say is remote work as a concept, the, the place where you accomplish that remote work should be completely immaterial to the discussion. Like it could be work from home or it could be work from beach or it could be work from van, or it could be work from airplane, or it could be work from another office, <laughs> a co-work space, a private office, whatever. It doesn't matter where you are working. That's the whole point of remote work. <laughs> I feel like I need to shout this from the rooftops because a lot of people just don't get it. They think, okay, there, there's, you know, for, for, any, for anyone working in the, you know, quote-unquote knowledge-based industries, you know, in other words, you know, stuff you can do at an office, you know, you're not a contractor working on a construction site, you're not a teacher in a classroom, you're not a, you know, you're not working in retail, obviously, like, you know, we're not talking here about, you know, people that have to work at certain locations. For, for anyone who does the kind of work where, in theory, that work could be accomplished away from their particular location in a particular company office, in other words, people that can remote work, that remote work they do has nothing to do with working from home per se. Again, has nothing whatsoever to do with work from home. Work from home is a subcategory of remote work. Do you follow me? Of all the categories of remote work, of all the potential scenarios where you could accomplish remote work, for all in all the particular ways in all the all you know all the particular um, modalities of remote work that are out there, <laughs> working from home is one of those. You could remote work from space, <laughs> in theory. <laughs> I'm not saying it would work very well to do so, but if for some reason you were able to hitch a ride on a space capsule and go up to the International Space Station and hang out there for a day, and you have a really bad internet connection with a lot of latency, yeah, it might be challenging, but you could do it. That's the whole point of remote work. You can do that work remotely, which means from anywhere. <laughs> anywhere on the planet, perhaps even outer space, doesn't have to be at home. The reason I keep making a point about this is there's a lot of problems whenever you see conversations come up where the debate is, do you work at a cubicle or in an open office at a company office somewhere, or do you work from home? And that's the debate. So everyone's arguing about if they like working from home or like working in their company office. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And some people are saying, oh, work from home is great. I only want to work from home. And other people are saying, oh, I only want to work from the office. And I think people should work from their office. And then some people are saying, well, let's try a hybrid where you come into the office three days a week and then two days a week you work from home. And the debates go on and on. And I'm sitting here thinking, who cares? Who cares? Who cares about this debate? It's meaningless. The debate is not if you work at a company office or you work from home. The company could pay you to rent a space, a private office even, at a co-working space, and you could work from there some of the time if you wanted to and if they wanted to pay for it. And that's not a company office. That is remote work. <laughs> Remote work is, again, working from anywhere at any time using 
any conceivable configuration of how you accomplish that work. Maybe you want to put your computer monitor on the ceiling and lie on the floor and use some kind of crazy floating contraption in the middle of the room where your hands are, are touching the keyboard at a 90 degree angle. Like, it doesn't matter. You are doing work remotely. That is not the same thing as working from home. So I'm going to keep banging this drum, folks. You're going to get so sick of me. <laughs> You're going to get so sick of hearing me beat this drum. I'm going to tell you this right now. Remote work deserves, must have its own genuine conversation about you know what the future of work is going to be all about and stop talking about work from home people. Just stop. It's not helpful. Decide what, how you feel about remote work and then, after that, fine, have sub-conversations about what's the best way to do remote work. Maybe remote work is done best where, you know, you ha do have a decent office at home where you work some of, some of the time. And then other times you work out of a coffee shop or you work from a hotel that you rent for a day because you really want to focus. Or, you, or, you know, I've heard of people who intentionally book airplane tickets to fly somewhere and they don't even need to go where they're flying. They just want to be up in the air on an airplane because it helps them think really clearly to, you know, write several chapters of their next book or whatever. Like, <laughs> Okay, maybe like right now, that's a little bit indulgent, but pre-pandemic, that seemed reasonable, you know, if you can afford a plane ticket. The point is, <laughs> we can have discussions about, you know, ways to optimize remote work and how work from home plays into that. But that is not the same conversation as, is remote work good or bad? I, I really hope you understand what I'm saying here. All right, let's get on to the last couple of tweets here. Tweet number two, I posted, I finally broke down, I drove to Best Buy, picked up an LG 27UP600, <laughs> 4K monitor, and a Logitech MX Master 3 mouse. Hooked them up to my M1 Mac Mini, and now I'm officially rocking the Apple Silicon lifestyle. We'll see what Apple comes out with in the fall, but for now, I'm set. And then I actually followed that up um, about a week or so later with a mini review. So let's go through that real quick. After a week of using the LG 27U P600 4K monitor, <laughs> my mini review. Great display frustrating resolution. First off, this thing looks awesome. Wonderful P3 color, which matches native Apple hardware color. Rich contrast, I like the matte coating. Unfortunately, the fact that this is a 4K panel at a 27 inch size is simply not ideal. At true retina, that is 2X, all the UI is laughably large with only an effective 1920 by 1080 workspace. I have to bump up a scale size to get 250s, <laughs> sorry, it's hard to read these numbers out loud here. 2560 by 1440, but then everything's slightly blurry. I can't for the life of me understand why 5K at 27 inches isn't an industry standard. Once again, morons in the PC world, <laughs> sorry folks, uh, morons in the PC world muck it up for the rest of us. I would absolutely love this with a true 5K panel, but alas. At a sale price of $399, though, overall I'm pleased with this monitor. Thumbs up. P.S. Why didn't I just get LG's Made for Mac Ultrafine 5K? Because that sucker is $1299 and looks hella ugly. 
If I'm spending that kind of money, might as well just buy an iMac. Lol. I can handle slightly blurry and a way nicer frame for $900 less. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, to, to sum up the sum up here, um, yeah, I did I did buy this this new LG monitor, and overall I do like it, but the, the display resolution uh, of having to kind of be scaled and, and not be at true retina uh, resolution is kind of frustrating. I mean, don't get me wrong, it, it does look good, like... You know, at, at the distance I sit back at, at while I'm working and doing stuff, like everything does look pretty clear and sharp. But if I kind of squint and get up close and, you know, really look closely at the pixels, you know, it's clear that everything's kind of anti-aliased and a little bit fuzzy. Um, you know, none of, none of the, the sharp, you know, lines and, and pixel grids are, you know, perfectly aligned. So it's a bummer, but you know, this thing only cost $399 and I already had gotten a Mac mini M1. You know, I, I sort of had talked myself into, uh, you know, getting a Mac mini as a home server and just to kind of, you know, play around with how stuff runs on it. Um, and I was so impressed by the machine that, you know, I eventually realized I, I just want to use an M1, you know, at least when I'm sitting at my desk and, you know, really trying to get... Uh, you know, lots of intense work done. I, you know, I just, I really want to be using an M1 machine. I don't want to be using an Intel machine anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, having spent the money on the Mac mini, I didn't want to buy the new iMac. I just, you know, I didn't want to spend all this money to get a computer that's essentially the exact same computer I already have. Like there's nothing about Apple's new iMacs that is, you know, really any faster or superior in performance to the, the Mac mini that I already had. So all I needed was a display. So yeah, so I broke down and got this display and you know, I don't regret the purchase. I, I really do like using it. Uh, but it's a shame that um, it's, it's just really hard to find an affordable uh, display that is at true retina resolution. You know, uh, you, you can find ones <laughs> that are not, not affordable, or you can find affordable monitors that are not true retina dis, uh, resolution, but to find both in the same package is extraordinarily difficult. And I don't understand why. I really don't. All right, folks, we're up to tweet number one. I was actually shocked how popular this tweet was. I got just tons of amazing feedback, and it was really awesome. So it's actually kind of an announcement. So in case you haven't heard yet, here's the announcement. And I posted this on July 6th. Today, I'm officially announcing Posture, a feed reader service to go into beta later this summer. It's a multi-year-long side project finally seeing the light of day, which I'm very excited about. Hashtag build in the open. Yes, it will be a paid service, but also a GPL open source. Pretty cool, right? I'm curious to see if a commercial service can thrive alongside OSS, OSS, that is open source software. It's like if Hey, that's the, uh, the, the email service from the Basecamp folks, it's like if, hey, we're fully open source, not just framework segments. Also, lots of deep UX thinking on this won't be for everyone. Uh, and I, I actually quoted a tweet from the Posture Twitter account that just got launched. That's at Posture Web. Uh, so you can see a couple screenshots there. So yeah, got a ton of likes on here, got a number of comments, um, a, lot of, a lot of people really excited about it. Of course, you know, mostly it's, it's programmer friends of mine, so you know, they're, they're excited for me and I appreciate that. But 
it, it really was nice. And and the thing that surprised me the most is um, somebody went, somebody found, I didn't even really promote this, but somebody found the, the posture repo on GitHub because, uh, you know, it's just been public. I was like, ah, what the heck? I just, might as well just be working on this and it's public. Who cares? <laughs> it's going to be public eventually. Um, somebody found that and filed an issue on GitHub that was basically don't give up. And, you know, this is awesome. Keep up the great work and don't give up. And I couldn't believe it. That just totally made my day. So, you know, People talk about Twitter as this being, you know, just a cesspool of, of toxic rubbish and everyone's angry and stuff. And yeah, there's certainly some of that on Twitter. But there's also just awesome awesomeness <laughs> on Twitter. Sometimes people are just great. And, you know, you never know. Like, I post lots of things on Twitter and sometimes I get a response and people really dig it. And other times it's just crickets and I don't fully understand why one works and one doesn't, but this one resonated. Lots of people seem excited about it now. So, uh, yeah, this is great. And, um, you know, not to bury the lead here, but yeah, I, I am building a feed reader service. <laughs> this is a thing. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously, uh, RSS and Adam news feeds aren't a new thing by any means. And some people even think it's, you know, long past its prime, but, I happen to think news feeds, you know, uh, if not alive and well, then certainly still alive. And, you know, they're only going to be as well as we continue to support them and encourage them and request them from publishers. So uh, so I really want to make some kind of mark in this space. Uh, I have a lot of ideas, only a few of which are incorporated currently into the product. So, you know, when this does get opened up to invites and you can start using it, you're really only going to be using like 10% of what I have planned. And <laughs> I know it's it's ridiculous of me to promise, you know, anything like, you know, it's never a good idea to market a product like, oh, you should use this because the next version is going to be so much better. And the next version after that will be even better. Like, that's a terrible reason to use a product. Like, you know, it should be for you. It should work for you now. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But, you know, I, I do kind of feel like, you know, sure, I could continue to churn away on ideas for the next two years before I get this out into the wild. Uh, but that's, that's just not a good idea. At some point, you have to put it out there. You have to get people using it. You have to get their feedback and let that inform the product to some degree. And so that's what I'm going to do. So I, I don't have an exact release date yet, but I'm, I'm sort of committed now to later this summer. So <laughs> basically, any time before the first day of fall, in the northern hemisphere, that is, uh, this thing's going to go out. All right, folks, that's it. Those are my reactions to the top seven tweets of July. Only one of them was actually June, and there's also a bunch of other tweets that were super uber programmer geek uh, material, which I didn't include here, so it's actually pretty arbitrary. But <laughs> I think we had fun anyway. Uh, at least I did. I hope you did too. And um, I, I think, uh, as I said at the top of the show, the only way I'm going to get fresh fusion episodes out the door in a reasonable time frame over the rest of the summer is to, is to sort of um, mine existing parts of my pipeline for content rather than try to come up with something super original for every show. And, you know, that's just the way it's going to be, folks. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can go to my website at jaredwhite.com. Uh, to uh, check out this podcast and subscribe in your podcast player of choice. And you can also follow me on Twitter 
at Jared C. White. And until next time, bye-bye.